I am Alon Ben Meir, and welcome to another episode of On the Issues. My guest today is Fred Huff, director of the Atlantic Council Rafik Hariri Center for the Middle East, who specializes in Syria. In March 2012, President Obama confirmed the rank of ambassador in connection with his new duties as a special advisor for transition in Syria. He was previously special coordinator for regional affairs in the United States Department of State's Office of the Special Envoy for the Middle East. You can find this full bio on the page for this episode. You know, you've been so much involved uh, directly in the, the Syrian situation, the crisis, civil war in Syria. And most recently, as you, I'm sure, you, of course you know, there is negotiation going on, sponsored by Iran, Turkey, and Russia. Where do you think this is going to go, even if they consolidate the ceasefire we've been talking about? Yeah, I think, uh, I think Alon, the, uh, the best thing that can come out of this Estena conference would be the consolidation of some kind of uh, reduction in violence, cessation of hostilities, even a, even a formal ceasefire. This would mitigate the ongoing humanitarian outrage uh, that is happening in northwestern Syria. This is obviously of great importance to Turkey, uh, which is already hosting 2.7 million refugees or something something like that. Um, I think it's important to the Russians, because what the Russians, I think, want to do at this stage is consolidate the diplomatic results of their very successful military intervention on behalf of Bashar al-Assad. And they want also now to cut their losses as fast as they can. You know, I think... uh, Once they consolidated... You know, 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 when they first came in, uh, uh, President Barack Obama gave them some Dutch uncle advice about uh, don't don't get yourself trapped in a quagmire. Exactly. Okay, and I think Putin knows his client, Assad well enough to know that if he if he just if he just stays if he tries to help Assad reconquer all of Syria meter by meter uh, this is going to take years it's going to take billions and billions and billions of rubles and I think what Putin would probably prefer at this point is a is a diplomatic settlement that more or less recognizes that Assad will be around for a while. Well, yeah, perhaps for a transitional period, at least at two, three years. I mean, yeah. it's possible. My, my concern is well, the issue really that I've, be, I've been thinking about a lot. Let's say there is a ceasefire yes. between the rebels and the, and the government. But then you have scores of other extremist groups who are operating throughout Syria. And when we talk about uh, you know, some kind of political solution, what sort of a solution? Bashar Assad is going to accept when, in fact, the Sunni are still a majority in Syria. Sure. The, the Alawites are still a minority in Syria. The Christians have already decided they don't want to have anything to do yeah. with the central government, and they're trying to consolidate their enclave along the line of what the Iraqi Kurds have been doing or done. Yeah. So where this is going to... If, even if you consolidate this far, they cannot control a, the other groups that are fighting, one another and against, you know, against the government, 
not to speak of ISIS. I, I'm, as, you know, I'm assuming that ISIS sooner or later will be defeated. Yes, will that's, will be I defeated. think that's a good assumption. Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. But then what are you going to do with this other group that have a vested interest to continue to aggravate the situation in Syria because they have their own stakes as well. Yeah, yeah. And no one the, controls them. Yeah, this is this is going to be this is going to be a, a very long and complicated process, Alon. Even if everything goes well. Yeah, of course. Even if there's a, even if there's a modicum of uh, good faith on the part of various uh, parties, uh, it's still going to take a long time. And I and I think the only way to go about this sanely is to take it step by step. The main challenge the Russians face right now in trying to consolidate a ceasefire is that their client, Bashar al-Assad, is not particularly interested in that course of action. So far, he has been riding the Russians and Iranians exactly. to one yeah. victory after another. He would like to stretch this out indefinitely until he, Bashar al-Assad, is in charge of all of Syria along, along the lines of the way he was in charge in March 2011, before things uh, but, fell but apart. Don't, don't you think this, this is an illusion on his part? I mean, does, does he really believe that he can actually achieve that? It's, uh, it's possible that he does believe it, Elon. I mean, you know, to understand Bashar al-Assad, I think the beginning of wisdom is to, uh, is to understand that he resides at the center of the universe, that everything revolves around him, that Russia and Iran need him even more than he needs them. Well, this is true. He believed that and for good reason. Iran wants to maintain its influence and to some extent presence in Syria almost under any circumstances. They will not relinquish that. Yes. Nor do the Russians. So Russia has had you know, naval base going back 40 yes. years. Iran wants to maintain that crescent between the Gulf and the Mediterranean. For them, Syria is where a they, That's right. And, and I think where they potentially differ, they, they don't differ right now because each side, for its own reasons, wants to keep Bashar al-Assad in power. To serve their interests. To serve their interests. From the Iranian point of view, keeping Bashar in power indefinitely is obviously very, 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 very important because what does Bashar do for them? He provides Hezbollah in Lebanon exactly. with a secure hinterland, with a real backup. Bashar al-Assad does anything Iran wants him to do with respect to Hezbollah. The Iranians are smart enough, they know Syria well enough to know that there is no constituency for this kind of subordinate relationship beyond Bashar and the family. So their interest in Bashar al-Assad is permanent. The question I ask myself is, is the Russian interest permanent? And I'm not so sure. On the one hand, Bashar al-Assad does provide a service to Vladimir Putin. He enables Putin to turn to his domestic audience and say, look, I have defeated American regime change in Syria. We are back as a great power. So please, my friends, pay no attention to that failing economy. 
Pay no attention to the corruption of your government, oh, where back is a great power. Absolutely. And and with, with Assad being the face, the personification of the state that has been saved, it's obvious that Vladimir Putin does not want Bashar al-Assad to go anywhere in the next 20 minutes. But beyond that, if you're going to have an expanded naval base, if you're going to have an air base in Syria, what do you do about a platform that is so weak, that will never recover, that will never attract significant funding for reconstruction, as long as Bashar al-Assad and his entourage exercise executive power. The Russians know this guy, and they know the family. They know how corrupt it is. They know how incompetent it is. So if the, if the Russians are going to keep Bashar al-Assad in power indefinitely, they have to weigh the fact that Syria will continue down the path of a totally failed state. And as a failed state, really the place where you want to have well, military bases. Yeah, but this, is a, but this is the point. They cannot possibly, in my view, count on Bashar Assad to stay there so-called indefinitely. How can he possibly be there indefinitely? That is, if the ceasefire is to be, be followed by serious political negotiation to reach some kind of an agreement, there is no question, at least, please correct me if you think I'm wrong, this. The rebels are not going to agree that Bashar Assad remains in power indefinitely. They'll have to agree some, on some kind of a political solution. He may be there for a transitional period, for four years, or go to election, be elected, maybe once, maybe twice, but he's going to have to go at one point or another. Do you think the rebels would ever accept a solution that's going to keep him permanently? Uh, no, they, they will not accept such a solution, but look at it from the point of view of Bashar al-Assad, okay? Why should I, Bashar al-Assad, care one way or the other what the rebels will accept or not accept? I have won a military victory that has sustained me in power, that has rolled back a very serious challenge to my tenure as president of the Syrian Arab Republic. If I can keep the Russians and the Iranians engaged against the rebels, I have a chance of having it all. Right now, I'm in the driver's seat. Why should I give up anything to these people? Well, this is exactly the point. That is, will the <laughs> Russian and the Iranian are prepared to continue to invest this much time, energy, money, resources, military, everything, indefinitely? So they want to have some kind of a solution that can consolidate their position in Syria and somewhere along the line yeah. get out of this mess. I think it's clear, alone that the Russians want to move in that direction. And the Russians recognize, at least in an academic sense, uh, that there has to be some kind of power sharing uh, so that there can be a respectable enough government in Syria uh, to attract the international financial institutions, the major countries of the West, Japan and others, to put money into the country for reconstruction. I think the Russians get that. You know, they may embark on a strategy of trying to move Assad 
into more of a ceremonial position. So, so, that, so that actually skilled people, technicians, can run a central Syrian government. I have no doubt that Assad will push back against that. He will oppose it. If you have a mafia-style organization, mafias are really not into power sharing, exactly. much less giving up power. This would be an unnatural act for yeah. Bashar al-Assad and his, and his entourage to do this. So, so who becomes a key character here? And this would be Iran, okay? And Iran, from my perspective, really does want Assad. For them, Assad is the genuine article. He is the only Syrian who can really be relied upon to deliver with respect to Hezbollah. And for Iran, Hezbollah is everything. Hezbollah is its long arm of penetration yeah. into the Arab world. Lebanon is kept under domination, and you've got a permanent threat to Israel. This is true. So they want him to stay for as long as possible. That means they'll have to continue to support him for as long as they want him to be in power. Yes. Now, when we talk about some kind of a, you know, sharing, create some kind of government where there's a representative of who this government is going to represent. So let's say you have an agreement between the rebels and the government. What happened to the other major minority groups, like the Christians, like the Kurds, uh, and, and others? And the, so who is going to represent whom? In what kind of representation, power sharing, you can actually envision? Mm -hmm. Where these people, I mean, if you're talking about power sharing, the Christians say, well, we want to be part of that. The Kurds, even though they are trying to consolidate their own enclave, they may still do not want to be left out completely. After all, they need some kind of resources to maintain their right. strength and presence. So who is going to share that kind of power under what kind of an arrangement? Specifically, if we're talking about some kind of uh, proportionate representation of the population. That is, there is other group other than the rebels. Yes. And do the rebels, in fact, represent the Sunni community? All of them. That's that's the problem I see. Yeah, the Syrian uh, the Syrian rebels, the armed Syrian rebels, are predominantly and indeed overwhelmingly Sunni Arab. Yes. Uh, the broader Syrian opposition, the uh, unarmed Syrian opposition, uh, has representatives of all of the sectarian groups plus Kurds in it. I mean, there are Alawis, there are Christians, Sunni. Yeah. Uh, and, and Kurds One way to go about this would be consistent with what the permanent five members of the Security Council agreed in Geneva in June 2012. And that is that at Geneva, under the auspices of the United Nations, the Syrian government and a delegation representing the opposition would create on the basis of mutual consent a transitional governing body, okay, in effect a national unity government that would run Syria for an agreed period of time, that would work on restoring stability, getting the United Nations humanitarian aid in everywhere, begin 
reconstruction, write a constitution, etc., etc. Again, mutual veto as to who's on it. One way to accommodate the Russians, perhaps, would be to exclude the Syrian presidency from this arrangement. Only, only if it is ceremonial. And then, yes, and it would be basically ceremonial in nature. Full executive power, in accordance with the uh, 2012 Geneva Final Communique, would be exercised by this transitional governing body, which would probably consist of current members of the Syrian government, to include some people in the security services who are not necessarily suspected of war crimes and crimes against humanity, yeah. uh, some of the more prominent opposition leaders, this could be done. And the, uh, and the merit of doing it this way is it's fully in accordance with what the United States, Russia, Britain, France, and China agreed in 2012. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be a pristine process. It's impossible. It's not going to yeah. be, I mean, it's in my view, it's extremely difficult to get to this point. Because let's just say you have representative government. Again, I want to go to the point, is it going to be proportional? So this, will the Sunni have a single vote or two equal to everybody else? How do you get representative government, transitional government? Does it going to satisfy the groups one of which as a majority, complete majority in all of Syria, yeah. and the other are small minorities. So what sort of representative government you can put together? I think, Alon, as a, as a general matter, and look, there's a wide variety of opinion within Syria, but as a general matter, Syrians remain very nationalistic, notwithstanding the efforts of Bashar al-Assad to turn this into a sectarian battle. Most Syrians still resist having sectarian identification at the top of, uh, of the way they, they identify themselves politically. They are Syrians first. I think that the manner in which a transitional governing body performs will mean a lot more to Syrians than the, uh, than the sectarian identity or the relative shares. You know, to, to sum it up, I do not think there is much sentiment in Syria uh, in favor of a Lebanese-type No, no, no I, I agree with you, but just so that, of course, you know, after all, the Syrian have been living under the, the Assad regime now going for 45, 46, 47 years. Sure. Since half of the Assad. And then when the demonstration took place six years ago and was met with force. So, so notwithstanding, and I agree with you, there is that nationalistic tendency. Yeah. And, and so do the Iraqis to a great extent have the same kind of tendency, some kind of, um, they're, yeah. they're nationalists. Yes. But here again, what you have, you have outside powers who are going to do whatever it takes to secure their position in Syria for the very reason you mentioned, Iran because of Hezbollah and Islam and Assad because of his, he wants to have a, a, you know, a presence in the Middle East and Syria is a wonderful place to be and he's been there for some time. Yes. So these powers are going to have to be also satisfied in how, what sort of 
transitional government, you're going to have that, that it will all continue to serve their interests as well. So here where there is there going to be a conflict, in my view, between the national tendency, let us get together, mm -hmm. let us work together, let us have now restore Syria as a single yeah. unit, when, where in fact these other powers are going to be pulling and pushing to make sure they, oh, they, they count and they continue there. Yeah, I, I suspect I suspect alone that the uh, that the that the central problem with respect to outside powers really does boil down to Iran, because of all the outside powers we're referring to, and leave aside Russian military bases. Just put that to the side. Iran is the only party that really wants to have a large permanent presence in Syria. Uh, Iran is, is already in the business of trying to build a Hezbollah-like structure in Syria, just in case sometime in the future the Assad family can't hang on. They'd like to see a Syrian version of Hezbollah that is essentially a state within a state or, or perhaps the only real state inside Syria. I mean, Turkey, for example, really wants to see peace and quiet in Syria. It would like to see the restoration of economic ties, which had grown very, very rapidly in the years preceding yes, the Civil oh, yeah. War. The problem the Turks have, quite aside from Syrian Kurds, is, is the Turks look at the Assad regime and they just don't see the kind of leadership that can breathe any life into Syria. From the point of view of the Turks, if the Assads are still in the picture with actual executive power, Syria will continue to die. Syria will continue to hemorrhage human beings, and, and Turkey's problems uh, will just multiply in the years ahead. The Turks are, are facing the fact right now that the Russians and the Iranians have purchased Assad a military victory. The Turks are facing the fact that the United States is AWOL. They're trying to make the best of a bad situation. Uh, but reports that, you know, Turkey is going to leave NATO and become, you know, Russia's ally, or that Turkey is going to reconcile itself to Bashar al-Assad, um, I think these reports are highly exaggerated. I, I think so. I, don't know. I know. I agree with you. But, you know, for, for Turkey, obviously they need stability. Yeah. I don't think they care who is going to rule Syria as long as there's, uh, there's some kind of political stability. But, but, but political stability will require a strong measure of national reconciliation and political stability will require reconstruction, basic infrastructure, housing stock, lines of communication. And Turkey's conclusion is you can't get there with Bashar al-Assad in power. Nobody in his right mind is going to invest in Syrian reconstruction, as long as you've got this clique sitting there with its hands open, prepared to take a, a percentage of uh, 
of whatever comes into the country. Yeah, my understanding, and I'm talking to some Turks in this area, they are supporting a ceasefire. They want to consolidate it. They want to see if they can alleviate the problem of the refugees. But they also know exactly what you say. They are, the Turkey does not have any confidence that this is going to lead to any kind of serious reconciliation any time in the foreseeable future. So that's, that's how they see it. But they want to alleviate some of the pressure. In effect, the Turks want to, want to put a tourniquet on a, on a gushing wound exactly. right now. Yes. The full recovery of the patient, that's something for the future. Exactly. That's yeah. what they're saying. So that's yeah. what Erdogan is aiming for. And yes. he absolutely doesn't want to see if he could help it. That Assad stay, even, even in the transitional period of time, they don't want to see that happening. Right. But I'm not sure they can control that. No, that they is, can't. They cannot control that. Because if they want some kind, they want, if they want cessation of hostilities, at least between the major yeah. combatants, yeah. Like the rebels and the government, then they're going to have to agree that Assad is going to have to be at a minimum a figurehead. Uh, well, I think state. so. And look, I think the Russians understand this as well. Yeah. I mean, the Russians understand intellectually what the problem is here. And they've had a lot of experience with mm -hmm. Assad over the years. They know what they're dealing with. Uh, the real question is whether, A, they want to slide Assad into a more ceremonial role so that Syria can get on the road to recovery, and B, if that's what they want, do they really have the leverage to make it happen? Because Assad will resist this. As I mentioned earlier, Assad is not into power sharing. It, it's, it, it's not exactly second nature for him. And he'll fall back on the Iranians who are not interested at all in Bashar al-Assad playing the role of Syria's Queen Elizabeth. But exactly. I mean, his survival depends really, to a great extent, on continuing support of Russia at this point and Iran. And ma I would say mainly Iran. Mainly, okay, mainly Iran. Mainly Iran, yeah. So what is going to serve Iran long-term and trust here? You know, keeping Assad as much, for as long as they can. And perhaps in the interim, create some kind of a basis along the line of what you're talking, create some kind of a Hezbollah group yeah. to, to be in Syria. Should Assad eventually depart in one form or another, they have already consolidated their presence by other means. This is, uh, this is, this I, is what I th this I think is their strategy. Uh, this is yeah. what to me seemed as their strategy, yeah. trying to do that. They need two, three, four, five years, maybe six years to be able to establish that kind of presence. Yeah, the, then, I mean, look, the Iranians. And then the hell with Assad. Sure, the, well, the Iranians have said that uh, at a minimum, Bashar al Assad should serve out his current term which takes us out into, I think it's June 2021. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That, hypothetically, would give them enough time uh, to build a structure in Syria that, if necessary, if necessary, I mean, who knows, by 2021, who knows what the relationship between Iran and Israel might be, okay? We can't completely eliminate the possibility of a detente of some kind, in which case Hezbollah, as a military force, becomes not relevant to Iran. 
and the holy and the whole equation changes then. It's possible. But but anyway, keeping keeping Bashar al-Assad in actual power until 2021 may not be so important to the Russians. In fact, the Russians may see several downsides to that, but it is of paramount importance to the Iranians. The Iranians need time, A, to build a parallel structure in Syria that can keep them in the driver's seat, and, and, and B, to see, you know, what is the world going to look like in 2021? Are we still going to be, you know, more or less on the edge of armed conflict with Israel? Are we still going to need Hezbollah to be pointing whatever it is, 100,000 rockets and missiles at the Jewish state? Will this still be necessary? We know it's going to be necessary for the foreseeable future in 2021. That, that, you know, change. who knows? That, that could change. We have a couple of minutes. Yeah. I just want to touch on Turkey's versus the Kurds in Syria. Yes. I mean, Notwithstanding everything we've been just talking about, Turkey has uh, unique, uh, different interests as to what's going to be with the Syrian Kurds. And right now, basically, they're fighting them for all intent and purposes. Under what circumstances that attitude of, Sir of Turkey could change toward the Kurds under any kind of scenario in terms of finding a power sharing, uh, some kind of a permanent ceasefire, long-term ceasefire, or some kind of informing some transition of government. Where do you see Turkey going with the Kurds, which they consider them, you know, a staunch enemy, as far as I yeah. can see, as far as I know? I think there are a couple of aspects to uh, the Turkish attitude here. First, uh, the official Turkish belief, and I, I think it's belief of the Turkish population in general, is yes, there are plenty of Kurds in Syria, but there's no such thing as Syrian Kurdistan. And in a technical demographic sense, this is true. You know, unlike northern Iraq, which is overwhelmingly Kurdish, the strip of land along the Turkish-Syrian border on the Syrian side is far from 100% Kurdish. There are a lot of Kurds, but there's no Kurdistan. Second, from the Turkish point of view, uh, the dominant Kurdish political force in Syria, the YPG, is the Syrian branch, the Syrian affiliate of the PKK, which has been listed by the United States as a terrorist organization. And this is, this is one of the great ironies. The United States is using the Syrian affiliate of the PKK to fight the ground war against ISIS in eastern Syria. So naturally, the Turks are not amused by this. Yeah, well, uh, they, course, find, they find course. it. They find it. They find it quite a, quite offensive, <laughs> and they'd like to see the United States get out of that business, yeah. which is understandable. But it, you know, in my discussions with Turks, I mean, what I say is, that, you know, this is fine. You, you know, what you're saying is perfectly logical, but understand. One thing, in order to defeat ISIS in Syria, an organization that is carrying out atrocities in Turkey, we need a ground force. You can't win a military victory from 30,000 feet against a bunch of guys in jeeps and on foot. It can't happen. 
So if it's not going to be the YPG, who's it going to be? Let's have a discussion on who it's going to be. This is how this is how I pursue it. And you're right, but and I I suppose the intense hatred for the Kurds is really blinding them from seeing the reality. Don't you think? Well, uh, you know, to use a current uh, expression, there could be uh, an alternate reality here. I mean, the United States does have the option, and in fact, Alon, I think this is taking place. The United States has the option of doing a top-to-bottom strategic review of what we're of how we are pursuing the war against ISIS in eastern Syria. Okay, the way we're pursuing it right now has made it kind of a slow-motion war, exactly, which has yeah. enabled ISIS in Raqqa to plan and execute major atrocities in Turkey and Western Europe. Yeah. All right, you've got you've got a predominantly Kurdish force that's mostly that certainly is not interested in going block by block in booby trapped Raqqa oh, no, to you know to, to save the place. Yeah. Their interest is in an autonomous zone along the border. All right, so the thought is all right. We've we've recruited a bunch of Arabs to serve with the Kurds. You know what we call this Syrian Democratic Force. We'll feed them into Raqqa yeah. to, to save the city, as if there's no requirement for professional soldiers or Marines who are trained in urban combat. I mean, you just can't, you can't take a collection of militiamen and, and, and feed them in like what? that. Not only, not only will it be bad results for them, it'll be bad results for civilians who are caught in the place. And exactly. No, no, I fully agree with you. Now, now that Trump, President Trump is talking about, you know, to, that he will join forces with Iran, with, with, with uh, Russia, basically to focus on, on ISIS, to defeat ISIS sooner than later. I mean, that's what I understand. The, the well, what he, what, he, what he said as a candidate, is, uh, you know, number one, ISIS is his first yes. priority. I mean, he's even telling NATO that ISIS is our first priority. But in Syria, ISIS is the first priority, and he's held out the possibility, he said, perhaps we should support Russia and Assad in their battle against ISIS. I suspect that President Trump understands two things by now. Number one, Russia and Assad have not been fighting ISIS. Absolutely. Except, except for the occasional yeah. episode yeah. of Palmyra yeah. falling. When, and when ISIS is in the way, they fight them. Yeah. When I, I think the President of the United States understands that now. And, and, and even more importantly, I think, I think he understands you know, that if you, if you get into bed with Assad and the Russians, there's another party in that bed with you, which is Iran. That's right. And, and, and at the end of the day, an American-Russian-Assad alliance puts Iran in charge of Syria. And I don't think this is something the Trump administration wants. So when he is saying we need to eliminate uh, ISIS, so far, from the air, yes, we have made significant progress. Yeah, there has been progress. But we're not going to defeat ISIS exactly what you said from the air alone. Doesn't that mean that he's going to have to send some troops, ground troops? 
that is, I, we need to send yeah, an answer. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if that is one of one of the options. But would you would you advise it? I would. And yeah. if I were if I were asked, I would advise him to go in that direction and and try not to make it a one hundred percent unilateral American initiative. No. And try of to make not. this a coalition of the willing on the ground. Look, if we're going to separate ourselves from the YPG in this battle, this is a major political victory for Turkey. This is being very forthcoming with the Turks, giving them something they really want. Okay, how about something in return? How about a couple of divisions yeah. to help secure eastern Syria once ISIS is defeated? You know, we, we, we discovered in 2003 when we went into Iraq, that post-combat stabilization really is important. It was a lesson relearned in yes, Libya yes. in 2011. Right. Are we going to relearn the lesson the hard way again in 2017 in eastern Syria? We need to be prepared for the day after. Uh, because defeating, defeating ISIS militarily is one thing. It's absolutely essential. I have no reservations about no, that at no all. And but filling, but filling in the vacuum that these people filled in the first place with some effective local governments, with governance, with, with security, with the United Nations bringing in humanitarian assistance as rapidly as possible, this all has to be part of the overall plan. And if we're going to use American troops in there, I, I want to see Turks. I want to see Jordanians. It's possible that the French, who I think were really ready to go the after French, the Paris attack, yeah, the get the French in there, go, yeah. uh, the Saudis, the Emiratis, and the Bahrainis, nearly a year what ago, volunteered to put forces into eastern Syria to fight ISIS. But what about Russian ground troops? I, you know, I don't think so. I don't think the Russians are, I don't think the Russians are inclined to do that. And my and my preference would be keep yeah, them out, keep them out, and by all means keep the Assad regime out of eastern Syria. It's the performance of the Assad regime that made Syria safe for ISIS and Al Qaeda in the first place. Yeah, but you can use you can Syrian civil servants who still live in eastern Syria, people who know how to turn on the electricity and pick up the garbage and teach in school, great, great. One of the basic principles of civil affairs is use, use the infrastructure that's available mm -hmm. to yeah. you. But letting, letting uh, the Assad family and the entourage back into areas liberated from ISIS, this would be catastrophic and self-defeating. Just one, one last thing in terms of the coalition you're talking about. Yes. I think he, the United States should not be doing this single-handedly, yeah. and it can't. At this point, even, no, we cannot do that. Uh, that's because there are already other forces involved. The Russians are involved, the Iranians are involved. But not in eastern Syria. In eastern Syria, yes. right now, it is simply the, the predominantly Kurdish force on the ground. There are Syrian army units in Derizur yes. and in Hasaka, I think. And they are basically just sitting there. These are predominantly Sunni units 
that Assad put out in the middle of eastern Syria because he couldn't trust them to fight mm -hmm. yeah. effectively yeah. in the That's West. Right. I'm just trying to think in terms of what sort of, of coordination, partnership, quote-unquote, between Russia and the United States, given that what President Trump already said, you know, we, we today, together we can defeat ISIS. So we're going to have to find a formula. I'm not sure what kind of well, formula. Well, I think there's, a, I think probably there's a division of labor. The United States takes the lead in killing ISIS in eastern Syria. The Russians take the lead in stabilizing the ceasefire, protecting civilians in the West, and uh, the United States and Russia together regenerating the uh, Geneva peace talks. Well, we'll, we'll end up on this very positive note. <laughs> <laughs> Not easy to do with Syria. <laughs> well, thank okay, you so thanks. much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Alan, you. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of On the Issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements. Mm -hmm.